0: God, I just, just, I just pray that you would just, 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 just help me to just, just. Um, I, I, Father, just place a hedge of protection around us. We're just here. We're here in front of, before you, or just pray that you'd be with us or around us. Rub it dub dub. Thanks for the grub. Just open the door. Just close that door. Just. Open a window. Oh, great! Hosiah. Jehovah, just got guys, oh, just show us the window. window. Amen. 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 Good morning. We're so glad you're here with us. We are in the middle of this prayer series. Uh, We've been working through, if you've been reading with us, of reading through uh, the book of Psalms in a month's time and just looking at what it is uh, that that David is praying through and some of the other authors that are there in the book and and learning how to pray through Scripture. There's a lot that is there for us this morning. So I want to to start off with this, Uh, if you're turning in your Bibles, get your Bibles open to the Psalms and we'll we'll go a little bit further there in a second. When I was a kid, I was raised as the oldest, I was the son, I was the oldest, I had three younger sisters than myself. Um, Down the street though was my cousin and my cousin, there was four brothers and so it was the closest to having any brothers that I ever had. My oldest cousin there, his name is Jacob, was four years older than me. And there was a number of things that Jacob could do that I couldn't do. Just being four years older, he was just a lot cooler, a lot stronger, a lot taller, just better at everything. And I just definitely wanted to be just like Jacob. In their house, I wasn't allowed to do this in my house. Maybe your parents would let you, but they wouldn't let me. Uh, Those boys literally were allowed to climb the walls in their house. They would put their feet in the door frames and climb up like a Spider-Man up the walls in the hallway of their house. Any of you kids allowed to do that in your home? Yeah, my kids are allowed to, I, we, we let them, it's, it's a party. Anyway, so he and his brothers, they would climb, they would literally climb the walls in the house, and I could never do it, and finally when I was able to do it, uh, he would then uh, come through and like hit me in the leg, so that then I would fall down, like as soon as I got up there, like as soon as I figured out how to do it, he would come after me and get a chance to just make an absolute fool of me. Uh we stayed at my grandparents for a week one time when all of us cousins were staying there and my grandfather owned a horse farm and so we got to stay in the horse trailer there was like living quarters in his horse trailer and that's where all of us boys got to stay and we loved it it was the best like we we finally got a chance to be out on our own and like we're living in a horse trailer, so I don't know what we thought was so exciting about that. But we were there, and I remember distinctly like staying up all night long because he had told us that, that earlier that morning the wind had blown through this little sheet of paper, and he had opened it up, and there was like a treasure map, and we could find this treasure, and all night long he had us like crawling around the barn and looking for different clues, and I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I'm going to tell you, uh, I really thought that we were going to find a treasure, but all we had was our older cousin and making an absolute fool out of us as we got older though it got a little more serious where um, he just had a good time watching us younger cousins Uh, he would basically set up a ring and he would uh, set us in opposite corners and make make us fight each other like like go to blows with each other and he was the referee and if if you didn't fight then you would get he would pound you and then you'd go in and then you'd have to fight with the other cousin and it just got a little bit rougher as time went on and And so what I learned there was, uh, Jake, as much as I love him, now I see that he was a bully. And he was pushing me around, and he was making us and forcing us to do things that we didn't like. I went back home, and I was the oldest sibling, and I had three little sisters. And basically all that time that I spent with my cousins, what it started to look like was me bullying my three younger sisters. And uh, it wasn't until my youngest sister, Royale, got married that her husband, John Mark, uh, he, t- he came to me and told me, messed up your little sister. We, we cannot walk through a grocery store pushing a grocery cart because she is terrified that someone is going to take her out on the back of her legs. Uh, because apparently yes I did it often she would be ahead of me and I would ram her in the back of the legs with a shopping cart and then I would laugh and she would cry and it would make me laugh all that much more and I would do it over and over and over again again I had three younger sisters and I would talk them into playing uh, cops and robbers and we had a shed out back and so uh, we would play cops and robbers and I of course was the cop and they were all the robbers they didn't know what they were in trouble for but I would lock them up in the shed for really like hours at a time When they tell the stories about it, they say, hey, it was a neat idea, but at some point, like, we don't want to be in the shed anymore. Like, let us out of here. And so this morning I want to talk about the fact that sometimes what happens is in order to fight back against a bully or learning what a bully is, or as adults, bullies look a little bit different, so I'll use the term impossible people. There's some impossible people in your life. What ends up happening is you start to take on characteristics that match that person, whether you realize it or not. So the question I'm going to ask you this morning, how do I beat bullies and impossible people without joining them? How do I beat bullies and impossible people without joining them? Now, kids, there's something for you here this morning. I know that you talk about bullying in your school all the time. This is not specifically that same type of message. But there's something for you here this morning. Adults, if you think that this is just a message for the kids, you are vastly mistaken. Because you and I can bully people in many, many different ways. We're just more educated in how we do it. Would you agree with that? So let's talk about it this morning. First of all, King David was a man who knew what it meant to live with impossible people. Think about the time frame of, of what you know about King, King Saul in relation to what King David was going through. The, the biggest story that we all know about King David is how he fought Goliath. There's this big enemy, he fights Goliath, he wins, he's victorious. But what happens after that? Remember how everyone gets so excited about David's victory and and in the streets the chant that starts going around in the streets around the area after he has defeated this Goliath is that Saul, the king, has defeated his thousands but David, he has defeated tens of thousands. And what did that do to King Saul? When he would hear that song, he became very angry. They overlooked all of those past victories that he had had. When he was uh, the king, he had, he had won victories. He had fought battles for the king as the king of Israel. But he had made all these victories. But now this young David was getting more credit than he ever saw. And before you know it, they start thinking about David. Maybe they would like David more than me. Maybe they would want David to be king. And then he gets word ultimately that God has selected David to be king. So King Saul becomes very jealous of David. He takes matters into his own hands. He becomes an impossible person for David to deal with. He invites him into his palace. He says, I need you. I've got these demon dreams that come and I can't sleep at night. And so will you come and you'll play the harp for me? And oh, by the way, once I get really feeling better, then I'm going to throw a spear at you and try to pin you to the wall. It's pretty messed up. It's an impossible boss. It's an impossible person to work for that you have to come play for him to soothe him. But then at the end of the day, he's coming after you. Saul sent David into battle again and again. This time he would do it with fewer and fewer men every time that he sent David out into battle. But David continued to succeed in everything he did because God was working in his life. God was always with him. Then King Saul did this. He was so afraid of David. And He had made such a lifelong enemy of David. What did he do? But he tried to turn his own son, Jonathan, against him. Jonathan, who was David's very best friend, his best friend in all the world, and he tries to turn Jonathan against him. Does it sound familiar? Has anyone ever picked on you when you haven't done anything wrong? Has anyone ever put you in front of everyone just to humiliate you? If you tried to steal away your best friend or adults, if you had someone try to steal away your best employee. But it gets worse. In the end, David is not just running from Saul. As time passes, he's running from Absalom. And Absalom is a bully. He's an impossible person. And you know, when, when you have impossible people, what do they do? They have a tremendous ability to put a tremendous amount of stress and pressure in your life. As Americans, pressure is probably a word that we are more familiar with than we really should be as a culture because of how we live in the really the lap of luxury when you look on the global scale. However, pressure is what's put on us every day, day in and day out, and what happens here with a bully is they take that pressure and they just focus it all that much more and you feel like you've got the weight of the world. That impossible person can put the weight of the world on your shoulders. So as the king of Israel, David already knows the pressures of leadership. He knows what it's like to lead an entire kingdom. However, as he is in that responsibility, the greater the responsibility, the greater the pressure. And this time, the pressure came from his very own son, Absalom. Absalom leads a rebellion against David. He decides, you know what, King David, you're my dad. However, I could do a better job than you. And so he starts to take David's best leaders, his, his commanders, and he, he pulls them together and starts to build a rebellion against him. And during that time, before you know it, David and his few mighty men, the few who would stay with him through thick or through thin, they flee the kingdom. And they find themselves out in the middle, middle of the wilderness. Specifically, they're in the northeast portion of the Jordan River, over the Jordan River. They're away from the rest of the area. They're in a barren land. He's fleeing for his own life. He's feeling disgraced, rejected, and that's where we find David in Psalm 63. So if you got your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, will you open up your Bibles and turn to Psalm 63. Open up your Bibles. If you flip it open, pretty much dead center, you're going to land in Psalms and flip your way around and you'll find your way to Psalm chapter 63. We're working through this prayer series and we're going to learn today what David teaches us about prayer. So ask the question again, how do I beat bullies and impossible people without joining them? First, you've got this in your bulletins if you want to do fill-ins this morning. Pray for God's presence, praying for God's presence, verses 1 through 3, let's read together, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. As we get started here, we need to see that, that really at the end of the day, as he starts this passage, David is saying, oh God, you are my God. He knew, he knew God in an intimate and in a personal way. There's a vast difference between knowing about a person and actually knowing a person. Today, you can learn all that you could possibly know about President Barack Obama. You can learn everything that you could possibly think of. You can learn all about him. You can learn what his dog eats for lunch. You can learn what he does, uh, you know, what kind of toothpaste he uses. You can learn that he doesn't have his own phone. You can learn anything that you want to know about the President. But it's not the same as knowing him personally. To know the President personally would require an introduction. You'd actually have to meet him. You'd actually have to spend some time with him. Some of you may have had that privilege, or maybe it's a politician or someone famous, but just because you shook their hand doesn't mean that you actually know them either. Many adults, kids, many adults like to name drop. That's what it means when you meet someone and you say, oh yes, we go way back. Actually, you don't go way back. You shook their hand one time. That's not the same as knowing them personally. To know the president personally, you would have to have time together with him. You would have to eat a meal together. you have to meet many meals over time. And over that long period of time, in many situations, you would learn what it means to be in the presence of the president. When we talk about praying for God's presence, that's what it means of being in regular regular conversation with him. As, as a relation development what happened between you and the present, you discover more and more and more about Him. You would learn more about Him on a personal level. He would know about you and you would know about Him, not from an academic standpoint, but as a friend gets to know one another. And that's how it is with a close relationship with God. If you want to know Him, there must be a time that you have been personally introduced to Him or personally been connected to Him, and that happens in our lives and in our world through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, John seventeen three. it's not in your notes, but it says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be that introduction, to be that connecting point. Uh, the big word is that mediator between God and man. He's the connection. Your introduction to God comes when you trust in Jesus Christ. And He gives you and me eternal life. In that process and then you have to develop that relationship you get to know each other you become friends you spend time together through a variety of weeks and months and years a variety of situations it's called seeking after God seeking after God means you are seeking God's presence you're trying to build what is an intimate relationship with God with you have met through personally through the Son Jesus Christ so praying for God's presence means praying that God alone will fill the vacuum in your life the times when you feel like your gas tank is completely empty kids you know what I mean when your gas tank completely empty when you're driving down the road and you know you've only got a few miles to go how many of you like that commercial where there's the little kid driving the I think it's a VW commercial and he's driving he doesn't want to deal with all the stresses of life you know he's got the grocery bag and everything falls out of it and like he has to deal with this adult life and he says dad you know what You can handle it from here. I don't need this. But think about your gas tank being empty. This is where David is at. He has fled the throne. His throne. He is the king. He has left everything, his possessions and all the things that come with being the king, he has left them behind him. And yet his own son, the one who he loves and has raised and has taken care of, his son is the one who is trying to throw him off the throne, trying to ruin him and take away his kingdom. And in that, David wasn't seeking for any of those things to fill that vacuum, that hole in his life. He was seeking for God. He wasn't praying, oh God, please give me back my stuff. Give me my palace back. Give me all my possessions back. Uh, I seek after you is what he says. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Your love is better than life, he says. What an amazing statement. The fact is, it's easy to fill your life with things other than God. They might be good things, but they're not God. And God alone can satisfy your soul. For example, many people with family and friends. And you you live in the same house with them. You have the same circle of people that you come and go with all the time. On Sunday, you and I will give God an hour. We'll come to church for an hour a week. But that relationship might, might only be an hour long at that point. Think about the people that you spend your entire lives with. Students, think of how many hours you spend with a teacher at school. Even the ones maybe you rotate through just once a week. You're still spending a fair amount of time with them. You start to build this relationship. People are good. Human relationships are a blessing from God. But you will never fill that vacuum. You will never fill that vacuum in your, in your heart and in your life. It's a God-sized hole. Adults, we will try to fill our life with possessions or successful or a satisfying career. Again, those things have their place, but they are not meant to do what only God can do, and that is to satisfy your soul. Praying for God's presence. How do I beat bullies and impossible people without joining them? Pray for God's presence, first of all. Secondly, pray for God's provision. Pray for God's provision. Kids, I'm using something called alliteration. That's when you use the same letters over and over and over. So you'll be walking home today and you'll be remembering all these words. I bet. I guarantee it. Not the case. Verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Verse 5. My soul will be satisfied As with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate you in the watches of the night verse 7 for you have been my help and the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy my soul is satisfied with rich food it says let's not forget who David is he's the king so he knows what rich food tastes like rich food is probably not Kraft macaroni and cheese it's a little bit better than that. If you like that, imagine that to, you know, the 10th degree. It's a big deal. But let's not forget where David is. He's in the middle of the wilderness. He's in the desert. He's hungry. He's cold. He's starving. He's, he's really up against it. And as he is moving through that, he is not complacent. He is satisfied. His soul is at rest, just like he had eaten a rich meal In the middle of all the confusion, just like this rebellion, it has confused his life. He's supposed to be the king. And there's another person sitting in his throne. How is he supposed to deal with that? David has an inner peace and a calm. You know what I have a great inner peace and a calm? After Thanksgiving dinner. How many of you know what that inner peace and that calm feels like? I mean, it feels good. That inner peace and that calm, that steadiness in your heart, he is getting that. David has that spiritually from feasting, that rich food he is calling from God. He is satisfied in God. He knew that God's provisions would be enough for him. God was David's help. David hid under God's wing as a baby chick hides for protection under the mother hen. That's what it's teaching here. If you see that at the end of that verse, in the shadow of your wings, if you ever see a mom holding a baby and that mom holds that baby so tight, you're not going to go over there and take that baby away from her unless she wants you to. The same thing when a storm happens, what happens with the mama bird? She takes in all the chicks and brings them under her wings. She protects them from all that's out there. That's what David sees as his protection from God. God's hand has upheld and sustained David. He stayed the storm. He has, he has been able to do that because he says his inner resource is coming from God. How do I beat impossible people, bullies, without joining them? First, praying for God's presence. Second, praying for God's provision. Thirdly, pray for God's protection. Praying for God's protection. Verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall be exalted. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. In all of this, David was not consumed with getting even. As he considered his circumstance, he realized that God was just and that God would judge fairly. Some of my reading this week, there's a commentator, Stephen Cole, he writes this, The wicked would not prevail in the long run. Thus David would commit the situation to the Lord and act with the right perspective and balance. He would make it his business to rejoice in God and let God deal with his enemies and to vindicate him. He knew his calling was to be king and that God would not fail to accomplish all that concerned Him. The point is a person who seeks after God has some inner stability. They're able to say, God is going to protect me. He's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of all of the resources that are needed in my life, whether those are physical, spiritual, emotional. He's going to take care of it. He's going to protect you and me. There's a number of things as... Kids we're afraid of, and as adults, they start to take different shapes and forms, but we still have our fears. We still have things that we're afraid of. Do we understand that God will protect us? God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Kids, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Even as you're sitting here this morning, God has a design for you, and He is going to protect that. And he is going to keep that together. God had told David that he was supposed to be king. In the middle of all of what was going on here, he was going to keep that promise to David. He's going to protect that and say, I have asked you, I have ordained you, is the word, to be king. And in being king, there are some responsibilities that come with that. I will protect you in that process. So adults, friends, do you have a difficult boss? How many of you have had him throw a spear at you? So you thought you had a difficult family? Some of you do. But Absalom had forced David out of his home. He had left him the true king to live like a homeless man. There's probably very few of you in this room that might fit into that category. Not once do you see David start acting like the impossible people that he was dealing with. Not once do you see David begin acting like a bully himself. David was a mighty warrior himself. He had taken down the Goliath. We all remember that, right? He had taken down Goliath with the sling. He was more than capable to go on the offense here and take care of business. But he didn't. David learned how to find his nourishment for his soul. That's when your belly is full. You find that nourishment, even when the nourishment for his body was nowhere to be found. When he found himself in the desert, running for his life, out in the wilderness, running away, his thoughts turned to God. When he was thirsty and his lips got all sticky, you know, he get cotton mouth and he can hardly breathe after he'd been running around for a long time. He's in that situation. He's thirsty. And what does he thirst for? He thirsts after God. He remembers that his enemies, as they are pursuing him, his soul begins pursuing God just like his enemies are chasing him. He says, God, I'm chasing you in the same way. His physical needs reminded him that God had already satisfied his spiritual needs. You know, in the New Testament, we meet Jesus. And Jesus teaches us along these same lines. He teaches us to find daily nourishment from God as well. Matthew 6, 9-13, this is a prayer series. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, He said this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Never outgrow our dependence on God. This morning I am speaking to kids in the service, but adults, if you have outgrown this stage, that is a mistake. Never outgrow your daily dependence on God. Daily acknowledging that the resources we enjoy are God-given. I know that you work hard, but there are people on this planet that work five times as hard as you and they don't have the resources you have. God has given that to you. God has it under control. That difficult boss, that impossible person that you are dealing with, uh, that person in your classroom at school, kids, that person that you are dealing with, God has it under control. He knows. How do I beat bullies and impossible people without joining them? Pray for God's presence. Pray for God's provision. Pray for God's protection. To jump back into the story of my cousin and I, he's still four years older than I am. But we're the best of friends at this point life has changed for us both after a rebellious streak God got a hold of his life and God worked in his life his mother is a, is a prayer warrior like I've not experienced really anywhere else and she prayed for that boy and he, he did some things and, and ran around a little bit but eventually God got a hold of his heart my grandfather kind of took him and mentored him and said this isn't going to work <laughs> and now he's a pastor of a church he's preaching this morning in South Carolina he's got a congregation that he has grown from the ground up he's had some really difficult times that he has gone through he's a church planter and after about a year and a half his, his co-pastor the guy that helped him start the church one of those freak things he uh, his heart just stopped beating from what I understand He's in his mid-30s and he died, had a heart attack. And Jacob just had to go on, had to push through. And some of that uh, makeup of who he was meant that he had to push through in a very different way. But I want to share that with you because God can change even the most impossible people. He can restore the most broken relationships. He can fix what is broken because his plan is far bigger than your plan or mine. You know, when Jesus says to give us this day our daily bread, he intends for prayer to be a daily reminder to us. When we say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, it's more than just asking him to take care of the meal. We pray for our meals. We do pretty good with that. But it's really getting our focus on him, that you have everything under control, God. You will provide. You will protect. You know, you do remember to eat most days part of the scripture is teaching us, will you remember to pray? Will you remember to connect? Will you remember each day that God has provided for you and for me? It's fitting, this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. Miss Marilyn's already corrected me for not wearing red, white, and blue today. It's Memorial Day weekend. What is the point of Memorial Day weekend? It is to teach us to do what? To remember those who have fought for our country, to give us the freedom to be here today. Let's take a pause here and actually do that. Men, ladies, those of you who have served in our country, would you just stand up? We want to, you know, clap for you and let you know that we appreciate you so much. Stand up. Yes. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you for serving. Some of you have served in a context where I did in peacetime and there there wasn't really a whole lot going on, but others of you, you served. You served in a time where it was difficult. When I talk about David being in the wilderness, you've been through your wilderness. Others of you, man, you didn't serve in the military, but you've been through a wilderness of your own when we talk about remembering, Memorial Day is teaching us to remember those who died to protect our country, those who are keeping us safe. So think about the ways that we remember those who we've lost and those that we love. In D.C., Washington, D.C., there's the monument, the great monument there, the Washington Monument. That's a huge thing. It's It's a memorial. You walk in there and you see that thing. It's incredible. Others remember those that they've lost, they take pictures and they stick them on their mirror or something like that to just remind you or remind me. In our family, we've lost one of our kids. And that, a reminder for us, that birthday or those different times of year, we always tend to go on a hike or go somewhere out and just explore and see what God has for us because during that season, we were on the very limits of what we could possibly imagine us going through. So it just feels natural for us to kind of push our limits a little bit on those days and that reminds us. Of our Son. You know, uh, as we look today, some of the most important things that we can do as Christians is to remember the great sacrifice that has been given for you and for me. And that's part of the Lord's Supper being here this morning. Now, we do have kids in the service, and so this is a great opportunity for us to teach. Why is it that we would do communion? Why is it that we would want to remember in this way? It's to remember Jesus' death on the cross. You know, Paul teaches us, and I'll read the Scripture in a few minutes, that he teaches the disciples regarding the Lord's Supper, that there is a responsibility for us to do it in remembrance of Him, to remember what He did for us. Not only do we remember Christ, we also examine ourselves to remember the the difference between us and a holy God. The way that we are living should be uh, in comparison to Jesus. We should be pursuing after that to live our lives like Jesus Christ would. He gave instructions on how to properly observe communion, not how we, how we hand out the elements. He didn't say this is how you have to do that, but he says when you do communion, uh, you have to be aware of these things. The church that he was talking to in Corinth was divided. There was people from all different walks of life and they were really not able to get along. And there was divisions throughout. The Corinthians had preferred the Lord's Supper to the point that it became a time of gluttony and class structure and division. And so he scolds against it. He said, that is not what this is for. He gives a model going forward. That's why we have a table, a meal that we are are eating together. Christians should approach the Lord's Supper with a sense of reverence, respect. We observe the Lord's Supper with a spirit of unity, not of discord. That is what we are taught in that. It's a time for personal reflection, self-examination, and repentance. How do you connect? to this holy God. Where do you stand in front of Him? It's a time for serious self-examination and it brings the necessary correction to the heart and purposeful living in Christ. It's a time for forgiveness. If you know of someone in the room that you know that you have broken confidence with, that you know that you have broken that relationship, it's an opportunity to correct those things, to ask for forgiveness. So kids, adults, the Lord's Supper is a lot more than just sipping out of a cup of juice and eating a little wafer it's a whole lot more than that it's a symbolization it's a simple act but it's the best way we can do it and the Lord's Supper is taken it's a solemn time to think about what Christ has done when he sacrificed for you and for me it's a time to evaluate our lives based on how Christ would have us to live but it's a time of thanksgiving for Christ and what he has done for us and how he has completely covered our sins And we can be here this morning because of what He has done. It's more than a religious ritual. It's communion. If you break that word apart, it's a common union. It's what unifies us together. Communion with other believers and with Christ Himself. So those who are helping with communion this morning, would you come forward? Band, would you come forward? Parents, I'm going to give you an opportunity as we... Make some adjustments here to just lean over, whisper to your kids, let them know what we're about to do, uh, lead them through communion so they know where the elements are coming and what's the expectation there. If you want to do that with your kids, we encourage you to do that. If today's the day that you decide, you know what, we're going to wait until next time we do this as a church and, and give that opportunity then, that's your decision, that's your family decision, but we want to encourage you to be able to teach and lead through that process and so as we look at the lord's supper in first corinthians chapter 11 is where we get the framework of much of what i just shared and it comes from the apostle paul and he is teaching uh, the church there at corinth but what he says there first corinthians 11 beginning in verse 23 it says this for i received from the lord what i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the night that he was betrayed he took the bread and so that's what we're going to start with this morning We'll pass out the elements. We'll pass them out beginning with the bread. And in a moment, we will have that family meal together. Let's worship communion together this morning.